Hey, this is Ken Harbaugh, host of the Burn the Boats podcast. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us here again and to have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Ken Harbaugh. Uh, Ken is a former Navy pilot and past president of Team Rubicon uh, Global, a disaster relief organization that helps train over 100,000 veterans as disaster responders. He has served in senior leadership roles at multiple veteran service organizations and is a prominent commentator on leadership and civil military affairs, serving as a guest fellow at Yale University and writing for the New York Times, The Atlantic, and elsewhere. He is the host of several award-winning podcasts, including Reclaiming Patriotism um, and Warriors in Their Own Words. And uh, he holds a BS from Duke University and a JD from Yale uh, Law School. So, Ken, a massive welcome to you. Great to be here, Dennis. Thank you. Thank you. Now, whereabouts for our listeners? Whereabouts are you in the world today? Uh, I'm outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, very nice. And it, you, it is April and snowing here, so oh. I don't know what it's like. In, <laughs> so you're going you're to in spring, in but it's still snowing. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Hey, um, tell me um, a little bit about uh, more about the, what you do in the way with veterans. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Well, the the pride of my work with veterans is, has to be Team Rubicon, an organization uh, that is now in its, I have to do the math quickly, in its... Um, 12th year, but it's grown incredibly quickly. I'm no longer with the organization, but watching their their exploits around the globe from tornado response missions here in the U.S. to uh, first aid and, and medical missions in places like Lviv, Ukraine is, is just awe-inspiring. It's grown to an organization with a global footprint and well over 100,000 veterans that it has helped retrain to be disaster responders. Those veterans, I know they're talented people, right? They've got, A, the experience about being in other areas, but also the talent that they've got. And it's about utilizing them because, I mean, they're young. They've still got a lot to give yet, and it's just being smart in where we actually push that or, or point that kind of talent to. Um, what's sort of one of the biggest challenges that a lot of the veterans face um, that you guys help them out with? 
Well, well, let me first say that it's it's about skill and talent to be sure, but it's also about a certain ethic that they bring to their to their lives after they leave the military. I mean, the U.S. Mm. Uh, has an all volunteer force, uh, and that desire to serve doesn't end when the uniform comes off. It's it's in the DNA of these veterans, and they want to find a way to channel that skill and that talent and that experience into into continuing to do good for their communities and and their country. And honestly, the the challenge for Team Rubicon, at least while I was there, was was finding enough to to capture that energy and that that desire to continue serving. Uh, they they have managed to do it, but there is just this this immense reservoir of talent out there among the veteran population. Uh, they they want to they continue being part of something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's, uh, it's a really great thing that you've done with, uh, with them as well, and it continues to grow now that you've said that you're not there. So what, what are you doing nowadays if you're not there uh, involved with Team Rubicon? Well, I've got the podcast. I've got uh, Warriors in Their Own Words. Um, I've, I've hosted for Crooked Media, and I have a Burn the Boats podcast, which is my chance to interview interesting people every, every week and, and get paid for it, which is pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah, and burn the boats. What's that? What's that about? I mean, I know you say interesting people, but what, what's it more about? Well, the the reference "burn the boats" is a phrase from antiquity, and it's a reference to when Alexander the Great. I think we're probably going to end up talking about leadership, so this is this is relevant. Alexander the Great landed his navy on the shores of Persia to launch one of those invasions, and when his when his army realized it was badly outnumbered, his uh, his lieutenants immediately begged to, to retreat and they headed back to the beaches. But Alexander told his Navy captains, and I say this with some pride as a former Navy man, he told his Navy to burn their boats down to the waterline, which gave his army only only two options, either be killed on the beaches or win. Mm, yep. So took the excuses away just about, right? So That's um, right. That's yeah, right. And, and, and their ability to get away. So, okay, good. Um, good to know that. Now, this is about leadership today, about leadership is changing. We'll get to that in that topic in a minute. But in relation to leadership, how did you get into leadership? <laughs> well, you're kind of thrown into it when you join the military. You don't have much of a choice. I mean, I, I kind of leaned into it as a as a young man in, in organizations, in school, and in scouting. Uh, but in the military, it's a whole different thing and occasionally a life and death thing. And I wasn't a an academy graduate or um, I don't know how many of your listeners will be familiar with this, but there are many different ways to become uh, an officer in the U.S. military. And I took the least traveled path, which is something called OCS. Basically, you, you walk on to the team and 13 weeks later, I'm an officer and headed to, to flight school. And you have to learn really quickly what makes uh, a good leader, especially because I wanted to command a crewed aircraft. I didn't want to be a fighter pilot. I come from a, a family of fighter pilots, but this was pre 9-11 and I was looking at the world as it was then. And, and I wanted a mission that was real every day and not training for something that might happen. And so I decided to fly a crewed aircraft in the Navy and, and a, an aircraft with a real world mission at the time. And that was the EP-3, a combat reconnaissance and signals intelligence aircraft. And I, I got it and had to figure out 
kind of on the fly, <laughs> but not intended, uh, how how to lead that crew. So for the listeners, that's the kind of aircraft that's got the big dish on top. Is that is that the one that you're talking about? It has a dish, but you can't see it. Uh, there are only oh. a handful of EP3s, uh, okay. and uh, there, there are seven, or were, when I chose the airframe. And it, it looks like a, a similar airplane, but has a very, very different mission. Mm, okay. Okay. Interesting. And tell me the, um, what, how, how long were you in the, in the Navy for? And then when did you come out of that? And then what did you do? So I joined the Navy in, uh, straight out of, out of college in 1996. I was in for nine years flying and I got out in 2005 to go back to school. Okay. And when you say go back to school to, to study yes. further? Well, yes, to study further. I went back to law school and ended up teaching after that. Then began my my career in the veteran service world. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, it sounds exciting. And what you've actually gone and done and achieved. And um, do you follow sports there and, you know, where you are? Uh, I, I, I do, not religiously, which uh, is sometimes tough to admit as a Clevelander since we we have a lot of sports here and people get absolutely fanatical about it but uh if you if you quiz me on the deep stats I may disappoint you no I don't need to know the stats but um that's all good hey tell me the other thing I wanted to know from you was based on your experience around your career and so forth now this person could be alive or from history who's been your favorite leader and why well that has changed I've thought a lot about this because I draw inspiration from from those who have gone before me, both leaders I have met and leaders I have just read about and admired from from ancient history to the present. But honestly, watching what President Zelensky has been able to achieve in Ukraine, rallying his his country, overwhelmed by this onslaught from Russia, rallying them to the defensive of not just their freedom and their territorial integrity, but I think most of us recognize the the future of the liberal democratic order of, of freedom itself. They are holding the line and fighting the fight for the rest of us. And I think history will will be the final judge, but it's probably not too soon to say that a lot of it has depended on a single individual holding his ground and saying, no, I'm not leaving. This is my country, and I'm going to lead the fight for it. Yeah, yeah. Ken, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's fantastic what he's done and, and how he's held it. And I actually was quite interested in the actual comment he made back to President Biden about the fact that, hey, I don't need a lift. I need ammunition. I need, I need help here. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it was interesting. Um, tell me, if you were to have a coffee with President Zelensky on a park bench sometime later on, what would be one question you want to ask him? Well, it, it would have to be later on because I wouldn't want to waste his time right now. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be out in the open. Um, gosh, I I would probably just reflexively ask him about um, his family. I mean, I know he has so much wisdom to share about leadership. But the thing I kept thinking about was the conversation he had to have with his with his wife about staying and how that went because she stayed too. The whole family stayed. Uh, the kids stayed. And I, I just, I mean, I have been in dangerous situations before, but I have never in those dangerous situations had to account for the safety of my family as well. I mean, that that takes a level of moral courage that I think 
very few leaders, especially military leaders, have ever had to grapple with because their wars are almost always fought at a at a certain remove from their loved ones. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine his focus as well. I mean, he, you know, he's out there talking about things and working through things, but then he's also got in the back of his mind, probably his family just there to the left or right, wherever they are, you know? Um, yeah. That must be very, quite difficult for him to, to, to focus. Um, but yeah, I cannot shown... imagine. I just can't imagine. And I've imagined plenty of leadership scenarios, including those in which lives are on the line, but never the life of my own wife and kids. Yeah, and I did an episode on this actually recently. I do a freestyle episode once a week as well, and I talked about him, and I actually talked about how a lot of the Western leaders were, you know, he went from actor to being a president, and they sort of laughed at him and sort of thought, ah, you know, and now he's showing them who he really is and what kind of leader he is, and I think that uh, he's some changing some opinions big time um, in well, relation to him. I think he's changing opinions uh that people have of him. I think he's changing people's understandings, leaders' understandings of their own approach to leadership. He's certainly changed the way Ukraine feels about itself as a country and about him as a leader. Uh, for, For the Burn the Boats podcast, I've talked to a number of people inside Ukraine, including a member of the Territorial Defense Forces, um, who, you know, I should probably put on the list of leaders I admire because this is a, a gentleman who the day before the war started was at his computer wearing a suit and tie as a financial analyst. And within three days was manning a checkpoint with an AR-15 and, 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 and body armor. And he confided to me and all of my listeners, but he confided in a, in a confessional moment that before the war, he had a you know relatively low opinion of President Zelensky, as did many Ukrainians. But the the glare of, of that kind of spotlight and the pressure of that kind of conflict. And well, we'll, we will call it a war, even if Putin will not. And war itself tests people's true character and Zelensky's mm. has shown through. Yeah, absolutely. That character being tested is massive, but also I think the other one would be around actions uh, a lot stronger than just words. And the guy's gone and done something and showing people. So I, I admire him for that. Now, Ken, the show here is called, uh, the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? Well, I, I'd probably put the question back to you because I assume that's a an acknowledgement that in in the business world, leadership has had to adapt uh, dramatically to different expectations among uh, among employers, among clients, among customers. I think in the military world, the fundamentals are still the same. I really uh, believe that. So I don't think leadership has changed that fundamentally in in certain contexts. But having led in, in non-military contexts, I am absolutely sympathetic to this, this idea, well, more than I, an idea, the reality that leaders have had to grow with the times. And we we, we have to understand that that our employees have much different expectations in the 2020s than they did uh, a generation ago. Well, what kind of expectations do you think they've, they've got now that are different from a while ago? Well, part of it is market-driven. It is a, an employer's, I'm sorry, an employee's marketplace. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not a, aware of that, you're going to have a tough time finding uh, good good employee uh, employees. But I also think that work-life balance 
has become a real priority for for my daughter's generation, let's say. And if if you're not sensitive to that, uh, I, I don't think you're going to get the most out of your employees. It's not just a a clock punching generation. They want meaning in the work. They want meaning out of their their non work hours. And I think good leaders recognize that and and can foster it. Hmm. And in the military sense, no, it's just the same foundation. When I say same, I mean it's the strong foundation that they have. Uh, military people expecting anything different from their leaders today. Was it say that again? What's the... so from a military perspective? Are people who were in the military looking at their leaders differently and expecting anything from their leaders differently as, as well? On, on the margins, sure. I think there has to be some acknowledgement that the generational shift also affects those who join the military. Right. But the mission is just so paramount in the military. Uh, the mission drives and defines everything. And maybe if if there is an adaptation to the the current leadership context, it's perhaps as a military leader talking about the mission in a way that is motivational to to one's subordinates um, and not just taking it for granted, but mm-hmm. making sure that there is that that belief in in the mission uh, and and using that to motivate. Yeah, cool. That's good. Thank you. Now, the other thing would be in relation to this world that we're living in, it's getting faster and faster, whether it be data, social, technology, business, science. Uh, what is it, What do you think it makes, uh, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Again, context is everything, but I, I would probably think less about the technological adaptation to to the fast changing environment then then some of those fundamentals like empathy like uh the ability to to listen and that that has always been true but i think it may be even more resonant today when you have such a diverse workforce with so many um inputs into their own lives through through their own curated social media channels and everything else that they have access to now that a generation ago they, they didn't. The water cooler conversation is not the same unifying experience it, it used to be. So empathy is a critical skill in bringing such a diverse workforce together and understanding the the different backgrounds and, and motivations. That's always been true, at least the importance of empathy. But uh, the fact that I think leaders need to be aware of so much more now in terms of what their what their workforce brings. That that's that's especially true. And I don't mean that as a as a as a warning. I mean that as an opportunity. Like the mm. the diversity of opinion is such a strength. The diversity of experience is such a strength. If leaders have the willingness to to see that and tap into it, it makes every organization stronger. I love that an opportunity of diversity and how we actually tap into it. That's true. That's true in the military as well. By, by the way, that has been an, an interesting change. Well, I was just going to say that actually because I'm thinking even if those veterans coming back, right, what we talked about before, that even though they're taking their uniform on, there's still that diversity of talent there that we can tap into to utilize for the better of good in life as well, um, other than just what they've already done, which has been very very important and in, in what they've served over their period Absolutely. of time. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a a minor scandal in the the U.S. military 
when our recruiting command, this is just a few months ago, made an ad that was uh, appealing to to the sense of the value of diversity. And we had certain senators in this country lamenting the fact that, you know, we now have a, a woke military. And the comparison, ironically, and, and not to the benefit of these senators, was to the hard Russian military and how effective they were, right? And how they didn't value diversity or wokeness or any of these things that we seem to value. Um, and I think the foolishness of those senators' critiques has been laid bare in how we have seen the Russian military perform the total lack of appreciation of talent and motivation and what, what should drive uh, the, the fighting soldier at the unit level. Um, that has not acquitted itself well in, in their invasion of Ukraine, and, and I, would, uh, I would bet on our military any day over what they have done to theirs. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I want to ask you a question here. I'm not interested in politics and parties and things like that, but I'm like, I'm going to ask this question generally, because this even will be the same for New Zealand and Parliament here as well. And that is, a lot of these leaders who are leaders that have been elected, how do they keep themselves abreast of what's happening and change and things like that? So in other words, they might be in their old school thinking, but how do they stay ahead of the curve and, and stay, I'm not sure how they're doing it uh, and are they doing it enough? For them to stay ahead. Oh, no, I don't think. I, by and large, I think, and I'm not going to speak to New Zealand politics. I don't know it well enough, although I think your 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 PM is a, an, an inspiring example, uh, my daughter's lover, um, as does my son. But um, no, I don't think politicians in this country stay ahead of that. I think they they follow it. There's that there's that old quote, I should probably look up the attribution, but the politician who says, there go my followers, I should lead them, right? <laughs> and in this country, um, at least at the federal level, too many politicians are so beholden to the most extremist elements of their base because of how our primary system, our primary election system works, because of how districts are gerrymandered, and that's a, a political term that's an artifact of U.S. political history, but it basically describes a system in which politicians select their voters and not the other way around. But what it ultimately leads to is a, a political system that is barely democratic because it is answerable to only the most vocal and, um, and uh, well, the most vocal voters out there who capture the the process at the cost of everyone else, uh, and the and the system breaks down mm, over time. Mm, mm. It's interesting, and I, I, yeah, sort of made, fascinates me. It's fascinated me for years. On, on we see people coming in and out, um, and I see people who are coming in and out of political roles, but then you've got people who are in government and the bureaucratic roles, if I can put it that way, in government departments and that, who tend to be there for a long, long time. And so they see people coming in and out as as ministers, as leaders of different secretaries of different sort of departments, but they're always the same. And it's just about how do we develop those people as well to to, to step up and lead and, and do that very well. And it's something that I think we need to look at that that more going forward. Well, that, that would be my preference. And that is what other democratic systems have managed to do successfully. But we in this country, unfortunately, have a pejorative term for those people, and that's the deep state. It's this idea that there is an unelected, unaccountable, 
deep state that is conspiring against uh, the popularly elected politicians when the vast majority of of um, uh, of of public officials, unelected public officials, I mean, people in service of their country are deeply patriotic mm. and want to do what's right and are hamstrung by politicians with short-term thinking who are only trying to feed a very narrow subset of the electorate, uh, the the red meat that they need to, to continue to be reelected. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We can actually talk for hours probably on this stuff um, because <laughs> it's, it's actually really quite interesting field. Uh, of what's going on and something we live every day. Now, um, we've already covered off the question before about employees' expectations of leaders and how it's changed. You've, you've already, we've already done that. Where do you see leadership being in five years? If I was to ask you to get your crystal ball out and look, think about the future, where would you see it in five years? In the business world, I think leaders are going to have to be even more aware of the the expectations of their employees. As labor markets tighten even more, as my kids' generation realizes there is much more to life than work, and they would rather sacrifice a little bit of a paycheck to enjoy uh, a better uh, quality of life, I think employers are going to have to account for that. The one, I guess, the one bit of magic that really good leaders can exercise uh, to to maybe forestall some of that uh, that that wanderlust among their employees is belief in the mission. The best places I have ever worked actually haven't been the ones that had um, the, <laughs> the the Google bouncy ball rooms or sleep pods or ping pong tables. They have been the organizations that brought people together around something bigger than themselves, a, a mission that brought real meaning to the work and to their lives beyond the work. Uh, they were the kinds of organizations where y- you wanted to go out afterwards with your coworkers and, and talk about the next big thing you were going to do together. Um, I think that is really hard to do in, in organizations, uh, but it is, it, it is the one thing that I, I think can appeal to, this generation of, of employees in ways that you can't buy. You can't ma- manufacture or fake that with all of the, the things that a, a Google can bring to the, to the rec room or the break room. Um, but, you know, even the, even the small guys can compete on, on mission and belief in that. Yeah, yeah. That's very good. I like that. Now tell me, um, veterans who may be listening to this anywhere around the world, but let's say in the U.S. too in particular – if they're wanting to get more involved in actually providing more about, you know, they, they want to do something next after the military and things like that, and they're listening to this episode, where should they go? We, who should they talk to if they're interested in doing that? Well, I'm biased, of course. I would send uh-huh. them to Team Rubicon, and if you just Google Team Rubicon, uh, they will they will set you up uh, for those veterans who are not plugged in the U.S. at least into the Veterans Affairs uh, system. Um, go to the the, the Veterans Affairs system, it's there for you. And there are organizations around the world now that are beginning to tap into this this talent 
uh, of, of, of veterans. Uh, and I don't know all of them, but I have traveled to uh, Australia and to the UK and to Germany and elsewhere talking to veterans groups who saw what we were doing in the US with Team Rubicon and, and wanted to do similar things in those countries. So I'm sure they exist. No, that's awesome. So uh, listeners, if you are a veteran and you're wanting to get involved, please go and do the research. Uh, Team Rubicon is one for you to think about and look at. Um, I'm, as you know, Ken's saying, there's other, others out there. And if you're in a global area, in other words, in another country, Australia, New Zealand, so forth, check them out and see what else is available for you out there today uh, to see what you can do to contribute even further on top of what you've already done um, for your countries in the past. So, Ken, I want to say to you, thank you for joining us on today's show. Hey, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, how, you know, where should they go? A uh, couple of options. I'm on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh and uh, burn the boats is, uh, is the podcast that, that we talked about at the top of the show. Uh, burn the boats. If you Google it is a, an evergreen production uh, and my email at evergreen podcast is K Harbaugh at evergreen com. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, but once again, Ken, Thank you for joining. It's been a real pleasure talking. Thanks, Dennis. I've enjoyed it. There you go, listeners. If you uh, a little bit of magic is believing in the mission, going out there, there is an opportunity to have diversity, but true character leadership is what's needed to move forward. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released, download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 